Welcome to the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. Vintage Church is a multi-church, multi-city movement of truth, love, and community. For information, visit vintagechurchmovement.com. Here is this week's message. Welcome to Vintage Church Online. Thank you so much for joining us uh, this morning. Wherever you're watching from, we're so glad that you're here. My name is Matthew Weaver, and I serve here as one of the pastors. And today, I'm excited to continue our series in the book of Haggai called Phased. We're calling this series Phased. And uh, and today, we're going to be in Haggai chapter 1, verses 12 through 15 in the Old Testament. And we're going to talk about this idea of make changes. Make changes. Changes And this series that we're in called Phased, <clears throat> the reason we are doing this is we are thinking about the season of life that many, all of us pretty much are in with COVID and with everything else going on. We have moved the past two years through different phases. We have moved backward, we have moved forward, and then what appears to be backward again. And I don't know about you, but Oftentimes, when these phases come, it throws off our routine, it throws off our rhythm. It is a really tough thing. But what God wants us to do, no matter what phase we find ourselves in, is obey Him, pursue Him, and trust Him, regardless of the circumstances. Now, obviously, that's easier said than done. And in the book of Haggai, we're going to read about a similar situation. Uh, They're not going through a pandemic, right? But they are going through an obstacle. God has called his people to come back to rebuild the temple, and they are facing some opposition, and they have to move forward through different phases as they trust God. So we're in Haggai chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. And as we look at that scripture, I want to share a little bit of the context with you. What's going on here in the book of Haggai. So basically from the time period of 586 BC to 516 BC, these are the things that we see happening in this time period. Babylon had destroyed the temple that was built by Solomon. Remember, God's people had built this temple under Solomon's leadership to worship him, to make sacrifices to him, and Babylon came and destroyed that temple, um, took God's people into exile and captivity. Well, eventually Cyrus, the king of Persia, conquers Babylon and allows a small group to come back to Judah. And as they come back to Judah, um, they begin to, under the leadership of Zerubbabel and Joshua, they begin to rebuild the temple that was destroyed. In their efforts to rebuild the temple, they faced a lot of opposition. We we talked about this last week. Um, They were spending more time and energy building their own homes than building God's house. Their priorities were out of line, and Pastor Dustin talked about that last week. Uh, Haggai confronted the people and asked them to check their hearts, consider their ways, and realign their priorities back to God. So after they did that, they now begin in verses 12 through 15 to rebuild the temple again. And they began to take that next step of obedience in what God had called them to do. But it wasn't easy, of course, and it happened in phases. So I'm going to read Haggai chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. Haggai 1, verses 12 through 15 says this, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, 
obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message and said, I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtel, who was the governor of Judah, and also the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, who was the high priest. And the spirit of all the remnant of the people and they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month in the sixth month, second year of Darius the king. So we see here, just in these few verses, the people hearing the message from God on behalf, on behalf of God through Haggai and beginning to take these small next steps in obedience to rebuild the temple. Here's our main idea today. Our main idea is this. In your new normal, make the changes you need to obey the Lord in every phase. In your new normal, make the changes you need to obey the Lord in every phase. So today our focus is simply on obedience. What does it look like? What do we need to know? What do we need to cling to? What do we need to remember to live a life of obedience, regardless of how difficult and crazy and changing our phases and our circumstances may be. And I think from this text, I'm going to give you three truths today about obedience that we can learn from Haggai 1, 12 through 15. Truth number one is this. God's message requires a response. God's message requires a response. Just go back to verse 12. Verse 12 says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Now, we need to remember what happens in the beginning of the chapter. Last week, we learned about this idea that God had actually, uh, we talked about blessing and curse. Remember, God's people had not been obedient. They did not keep up their relationship with God. So because of that, they began to experience negative uh, consequences from their disobedience. There was a drought in the land. Their crops were harmed and not growing because of that, and they were beginning to see that Man, there were some things happening around them because they chose not to obey. So Haggai confronted them and said, you need to consider your ways, everyone. And so they began to consider their ways, check their heart, and realign their priorities back to God. And through that process, they were now in a place where they would respond to the message of God. And I think about these two people, right? We see the leaders responded first, the leaders uh, the leaders were Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the governor of the people. And then Joshua, he was the high priest. So these two people led the remnant of the people into these next steps. The remnant of the people were all the people that were brought back out of captivity back to Judah. So all the people that chose to come back. And that was probably anywhere from 45,000 to 50,000 people give or take. So in the big scheme of things, it wasn't a huge 
group, but this group came back and they were ready to see what God would do and they responded. How did they respond? I think two very simple things that we see in the text. Uh, The first way, how did they respond, is that they obeyed the Lord. They obeyed the Lord. Now, this is actually very important. You might think, read this and think, okay, big deal, you know, but actually this is a very big deal uh, because oftentimes when a prophet would speak a message on behalf of God to the people, that message would a lot of times fall on deaf ears. The people would hear the message but choose to not respond. You know, by the way, not responding to God is actually a response, Choosing to, not, to, choosing to not respond to what God is doing. When God is speaking to you, choosing to not respond to Him is a response. It's the wrong response, right? And oftentimes throughout Scripture, we read about people hearing a message and doing nothing about it. And there are times where they do do something about it, like in this text. And so they begin to obey the Lord as a community together. I want you to think about that really quick. How many times has a message from God, the Word of God, come to you and fallen on deaf ears? How many times has the Holy Spirit prompted you to do something? How many times has the Word of God, as you're reading it, come alive to you and you know you need to do something? How many times through prayer, through accountability, through the church, has God spoken to you and has fallen on deaf ears? May we not let that be the normal for us. They obey the Lord. We should obey the Lord. How do they respond? Secondly, they feared the Lord. They feared the Lord. And this is very important as well because remember they had just come out of this season of seeing the consequences of their disobedience. Seeing that it did matter that they, the, that they disobeyed. It did matter. God did see it. God did notice it. And there were consequences. And through these experiences with God and through Haggai's message to them, they began to fear the Lord. Now, when I say fear the Lord, okay, as a little kid, uh, I used to, you know, lay in my bed at night going to sleep when I was really little. And I didn't like to sleep on the edge of the bed because I didn't want to see what was over the bed. I was scared that something would come out from the bottom and get me, right? When I'm, you know, and so I remember that as a kid. Like, I remember vividly wanting to sleep in the middle of the bed because I was scared of what could happen, right? And, you know, think about something you may be scared of. You may have a fear of heights. You may have a fear of roaches. You may have a fear of snakes or whatever. That's not what we're talking about here. This fear that we learn about throughout Scripture, fearing the Lord, is, is, is a reminder for us that we need to know who we are before God. How much we need God, how much God loves us, but he doesn't have to love us, but he chooses to love us, and because of that, we should be humbled by that reality. We should have a reverence and an awe and a worship of who God is and who we are, and just be amazed that he actually loves us a reverence, a fear for who God is. So we see the people obeying the Lord and fearing the Lord as they responded. These two things work beautifully together as a response when God speaks to us. I want you to think about a time in your life where God was speaking to you. As I said a second ago, 
and you knew that it was God, and you knew that you needed to do something. I think about just 2014 is the first, uh, first thing I thought of when I was preparing this message. When I was praying about and thinking about moving to New Orleans, I, I'm born and raised in Georgia, then I moved to South Carolina for a couple years, and through uh, my time in South Carolina in ministry, God began to stir in my heart to go to seminary. I didn't know what that looked like. Uh, I'm not really an academic, so I was like, I don't know what that looks like for me. And so through different encounters with people, connections I had, I began to hear about New Orleans. I began to hear about the seminary in New Orleans. I began to hear about Vintage Church in New Orleans. And through these conversations and these encounters, it was like God was saying, hey, you should really consider this. But if I'm being honest with you, it was never on my radar because all I knew about New Orleans was uh, Bourbon Street and hurricanes, right? If you don't live in New Orleans, right, uh, if you, those of you that live here, you have friends that don't live here, and when you, maybe when they think of New Orleans, they just tell you the typical uh, stereotypes of New Orleans, right? And that's what I had. I didn't know everything else. I just knew what I saw in the news, what I read about, and this and that. So I was like, there's no way God's actually calling me down there. Well, I came down for a visit at the seminary, I think the summer of 2014, uh, the first time I had really experienced miserable humidity, right? And, but through that week, I think uh, I came down for a few days for a preview weekend at the seminary, and through that time, God made it so clear to me that I was supposed to move here for seminary. I didn't know anything else. I didn't know what the future held. I had no idea how it would all come in place. All I knew is that God was making it clear to me that I needed to move down there and I needed to respond. And so, of course, uh, a little bit reluctantly and very scared, <laughs> I began to talk to people about that. And people began to affirm that calling and that decision in my life. And God began to line up every single detail for me to move down here. And obviously, the longer that I've lived down here, God has begun to open up doors. God has provided. God has done more than I thought he would ever do. And I could not tell you, looking at my life right now, there's no way I could have said, this is what God's going to do. I think what God wanted me to do in the summer of 2014 was simply move to New Orleans and take that first step. And I did that. And along the way, the Lord began to confirm that, make everything clear to me, and everything fell into place. And now I can confidently tell you, I get it. I know what God was doing. And I know that I'll have more moments like that throughout my life. But the important thing is that God was speaking to me, and I had to do something about it. I had to respond. When God speaks to us, let me ask you this, are you attentive to it? Are you alarmed? Do you notice it? Does it do something to you when God speaks to you? How do you respond to what God is doing in your life? I want you to think about your own personal life. What is God calling you to do? What is God calling you to respond with? How's your walk with the Lord? How's your purity? How's your holiness? How are your spiritual disciplines? How are your relationships? How is your family? How is your attitude? Think about your life. Think about how you need to respond to what God is doing in your personal life. And I want you to think about Ventus Church. Those of you that call Ventus Church home, or those of you that are considering being a part of our church family, how does God want you to respond to that calling? How can you 
be obedient to him and fear him? Do you need to serve on a V team? We have a huge need right now for V teams. We'd love to get you on a V team. Do you need to join a V group? Is God calling you to become a vintage partner, to give, to be faithful in our gatherings, to share the gospel, to serve, to invest in our generations? When God calls, we must respond. Truth number two is this. God's message requires a response. And number two, God's presence must be our foundation. God's presence must be our foundation. Look at verse 13 in Haggai chapter 1. So Haggai had spoken, right? And they had obeyed the Lord and feared the the Lord. They, They listened to the voice of the Lord and they responded. And then Haggai comes back and he says, it says in verse 13, Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. And said this, I am with you, declares the Lord. Haggai is this messenger of the Lord. We read about this phrase, messenger of the Lord, throughout Scripture. What it means is an angel or human agent that is entrusted with a word of revelation from God. Haggai delivered this message that the Lord would be with the people in their journey of rebuilding. And this is very important, being reminded of God's presence with them. How did God's presence serve as their foundation? God's presence must be our foundation. What did that look like for the people in the book of Haggai? It looked like this. God's presence reminded them of the promised covenant. God's presence reminded them of the promised covenant. Think about this. We read about the covenant that God made with his people starting in the very beginning of the Old Testament all the way through. This group of people, this remnant, was part of the covenant people that God had made a promise with. God had promised that he would be with them even when circumstances were difficult. Imagine what they were going through right now. They were in captivity. They had now come back to their land to rebuild. God was keeping his promise. He's working through all things. He's the covenant keeper. He's the promise keeper. He had not left them in their journey. Secondly, God's presence empowered and inspired them to do the work, to do the work of rebuilding the temple. Now, let's, let's just think about the, the perspective of the remnant of the people here. Can you imagine how afraid they probably were? Can you imagine how discouraged they probably have been? Can you imagine how intimidated they probably were? How fearful they were? How defeated they felt at times? They would need to be reminded that through the way they felt, God's presence was ultimately all that they needed to complete the work of the rebuilding of the temple. And throughout Scripture, I want to just share this really quickly with us this phrase that God says, I am with you. Throughout Scripture, God reminds his people time and time again of, the, of those four words, I am with you, especially when they're afraid. Let me just read a few examples to you. Starting in Genesis twenty-eight fifteen, Jacob 
has a dream, and in the dream, God says this, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Think about Moses in the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, as God was going to call Moses to lead his people. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Years later, Moses dies, and God calls a man named Joshua to rise up and lead after Moses. In Joshua chapter 1, he's afraid to lead, and God says this, Joshua, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. 2 Samuel chapter 7, God calls David from being a shepherd to then being the king. And David's afraid, and God says this to David, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I've been with you wherever you went. I've cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. Jeremiah chapter 1, the prophet Jeremiah is called to lead and speak, and he's afraid, and he says, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to Jeremiah, Do not say I am only a youth, or to all to whom I send you. You shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. And then we go to the New Testament, we keep reading the Bible, and we see Jesus telling people, telling his disciples, telling his followers, God's message continues, nothing changes, Jesus comes, and Jesus brings the hope, fully man and fully God, of him being with us to the end of the age. And I think about Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. It's on the screen. Very common verse that many of us have read. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth, that's everything everywhere, has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lastly, he says this, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I share all of those verses with you just to show you a glimpse of the consistency throughout the Bible of the promises of God that his presence is always with us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. Just as he was with the people in Haggai to build the temple, he's with you and me as Jesus has called us to the great task and mission of making disciples. And he'll be with us to the very end, and he'll never leave us. We're never alone. 
Maybe right now you need to be really reminded of that through this really tough season that we're in. You're never alone. Never alone. The Holy Spirit, if you know Jesus, if you've given your life to Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit living within you, and He knows everything, and He is with you in your journey. You can come to Him always. God's presence must be our foundation. Here's our last truth. Number three is this. God makes an impact through our obedience. God makes an impact through our obedience. Look at verses 14 and 15 in Haggai chapter 1. After Haggai had reminded the people of God's presence, here's what we see now. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. So we see here now the action actually happening, putting action to the calling of obedience of actually building the temple as their spirits are stirred into action. I want to share this with you. Our impact for God is powerful when we respond to the stirring in our spirit. To the stirring in our spirit. I want to focus in on that phrase really quick, their spirits being stirred. I think about, there's a quote from the Tyndale Commentary about that phrase and what it means. It says this, the root of the, word, of the verb stirred means to rouse, awaken, or set in motion, and is frequently attributed to God's sovereign work in enlivening people to accomplish his purposes. Haggai recognizes the dynamic relationship between the empowering presence of God's spirit and the spirit of the people in rousing the community to action. This is the affirmation of the covenant formula, I am with you. So they had been reminded of that covenant promise that God is with them, and now they are reacting out of inspiration and motivation to do exactly what God was telling them to do. And they began to build, they began to rebuild the temple on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Now, what does that mean? Very simply, it means this. Basically, between Haggai's first prophecy to them about this, to this point right now that we just read about, that period, that phase was about 23 days. 23 days of contemplating their priorities, checking their motives, checking their hearts, realigning their hearts back to God, uh, responding in obedience and fearing God, um, putting a plan together, right? Gathering the supplies that they needed to build. It's not just going to happen. They have to do something. Gathering the supplies that they needed, putting a plan in action, and then starting to build. And I think that's very important. That's something we would easily read over. That's very important because this did not happen overnight. Yes, there was a moment of surrender and obedience that they had to acknowledge. Yes, God, we will obey you. 
But you know that you have to follow up with that statement in actually putting your actions, putting a plan together, doing something tangibly as you move forward in obedience. There was a phase and a period of time where they were stirred into action. You know, I I love Marvel movies. Maybe uh, you really enjoy Marvel movies. If you've never seen Avengers Endgame, you need to go watch it. It's been around long enough now, so you need to watch it. But that is one of my favorite Marvel movies is the Avengers Endgame. Specifically in that movie, uh, one of my favorite characters is Thor. And the reason why I love the character Thor in that movie is obviously because it's hilarious, right? Uh, Thor in Avengers Endgame, where we kind of pick up in the beginning of the movie, um, is following the previous movie where, honestly, the Avengers had lost the battle. Half the population was wiped out. If you remember Thanos, he gathered everything and snapped his finger, and half the population was dead. And the Avengers lost, and and, uh, Thor was discouraged. So what Thor does in between these movies, he just runs away. He goes to some place, and he basically uh, gets fat, and unhealthy and just loses himself and becomes just a complete, uh, lets himself go because he's depressed, he's down, he's in a really bad place. Here's what Thor looks like in that movie, right? So if you look at this picture, this is literally from the movie. Thor was just, I don't need to explain it, he wasn't good. So you can see how low of a point Thor was at, and it's actually very funny in the movie. He went from like a beast, just a, a stud, to this because of his loss and discouragement and defeat. Well, where the movie picks up is that some of the characters come and find Thor because they actually find a way to go back in time and to bring everyone back and defeat uh, uh, Thanos, right? So they do that, and what, what they need to do first is gather all the Avengers back together. So they go and they find Thor. They confront him and say, dude, we've got a plan. We need you. We can do this. Get off your couch. Put the potato chips away. Let's do this. I believe in you. And of course, at first, Thor is like, no way. It's over. I can't do this. But through these uh, various conversations he has with people in the movie, including his mom, he goes to all these places. And Thor begins throughout the movie to become more and more and more and more and more stirred and inspired to go back and take what what belongs to him. So by the end of the movie, this is who Thor is. We have another picture. That's who Thor is. He goes from a terrible place to a great place, and they go back and they win, right? And so you just think about that period, though, that Thor was at and what it took to get him back to this place to win. I want you to think about this in your own life. It's just a movie. I get it, right? But Think about the seasons that we find ourselves in. We've all been there, done that. We've all been discouraged and defeated and depressed and felt hopeless. But if we cling to the promises of God, even in our lowest moments, when our friends and family come to us and speak truth to our lives, when the Holy Spirit ministers to us and says, get back up, you can do this, we then begin to move forward in a phase of obedience being stirred by the Spirit to make an impact. Christians are called to make an impact. How will you make an impact through your obedience? Some of my favorite stories at Ventus Church about impact are the ones where people come to us 
God had stirred something within them, a passion they had, and they brought that to us, and they were ready to do something about it. I think about the mission trips that we have taken. Uh, before COVID, we took multiple trips to um, Honduras and different places with Living Waters, and one of our vintage partners literally initiated that passion, recruited a team, and brought people. And we got behind it. I think about um, our single moms ministry that we've been trying to launch and get going, and uh, the couple that brought that to us are so excited about that. They see a need. They want to reach people. They brought that to us. They made it happen. I think about Next Generation's ministry and our generation's ministry that goes into the schools. There's people within Vintage Church that go down the street to Meisler Middle School, love on these middle schoolers, and actually have brought them to Vintage, brought them on Sundays, brought them to these students, and they are being impacted because of their obedience. God wants to make an impact through you and me as we obey Him. I want to read 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, as we get ready to close. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6 says this, For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and self-control. I want you to, to look at that phrase, fan into flame the gift of God. The CSB Bible version explains that as rekindle the gift of God that is in you. The Holy Spirit, if you know Jesus, lives within you. And what the Holy Spirit wants you to do is, is tap into that power, activate that power, and live in that reality. And when you live in that reality, you are fanning into flame the power that is ready to be activated through the Holy Spirit. When you obey God, the Holy Spirit is being put on display to the world. You're fanning into flame. I think about grilling out. Maybe you like to grill out, right? You light the fire, you get it going, you get the temperature set, the flame starts, right? And you start cooking. Maybe you flip your burgers and you see that flame. It's just such an awesome, I love to grill. It's like the best feeling when you see that flame come up, right? But it's a good sign when the flame is actually happening, you know that your grill is doing the work. You're fanning into flame what you need to cook the best, to grill out the best food. As Christians, we think about Haggai, we think about the Old Testament. The Old Testament points to the coming of Jesus ultimately. Jesus came, that's the gospel. He lived a life, he proclaimed hope, he died for our sins, he rose again, he gave us his Holy Spirit, he ascended to the Father, and one day he's coming back again. But until that day, we have the Holy Spirit that He's given us in our hearts. But we have to be stirred up to make an impact and fan into flame the gift of God that sits within us. As we obey, God makes an impact through us. As we get ready to close and respond, I want to ask you just a few questions. Thinking about this story and thinking about obedience, I want to recap the points and ask you some questions. First thing, God's message requires a response. 
Will you respond when he speaks? Will you respond when he speaks? Secondly, God's presence must be our foundation. Will you rely on and trust in his presence? His presence alone is ultimately all we need to move forward. Not us, but him. And then thirdly, God wants to make an impact through our obedience. When the Spirit stirs within you, will you obey? Will you obey? What changes will you make? Will you obey the Lord in every phase? I want to really quickly think about Haggai just one more second. I want you to think about what we just read about. We haven't read the rest of Haggai yet. We're going to unpack that in the next few weeks. All we've read right now is they've taken one step in obedience. They've done the first thing they needed to do to move forward. The first thing. My question for you is, will you take one step in obedience? Knowing that God sees the big picture, God sees everything else. You don't need to worry about everything else. God has that. What God wants you to do right now is say, yes, Lord, I'll obey right now. So what does that look like for you, Vintage Church? What passions do you have sitting deep within you that you have not put to action yet? Can you just imagine what Vintage Church would look like, what our region and our world would look like if every Christian was tapping into what the Spirit was doing in our hearts, was actually doing what God has called people to do? Can you imagine the impact that would make in our world? I want to encourage us and challenge us to do that, to obey the Lord in every face. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We thank you for this message. We thank you for the book of Haggai. We thank you for what we've learned here about obedience and about our need for you and about the passions you give us and about how you want to use us to make an impact. And God, I pray for everyone that we would just take this message, examine our own hearts and our own lives and and ask ourselves what we need to do, what next step of obedience we need to take. God, today as we think about everything going on in our world, we just think about everything that we are burdened for. We think about COVID. We think about the loss and the pain and everything COVID has brought, and we pray that you would be with us, that you would help us through this. We pray for Afghanistan. God, we pray for Haiti. We think about all of the brokenness and all the things that sin has brought into this world, and we are broken and devastated. And God, we ask that you would do what only you can do, and that we would just come to you with these things. And God, that you would meet us there. God, we need you. Today, we need you. And when we obey, we are playing a part in the bigger picture of how impact for the gospel is spreading across the world. So God, I pray as we respond, that you would lead us and guide us and be with us. Help us to not leave this place the same. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.